my special thanks to Dr. Marshall Wells and to Christy Choi for the reading of God's Word. Um, Dr. Wells is not the youngest member of our congregation. He's 100 years old. And Christy, who is a a student at Westmont College, is a little bit younger, about one-fifth. And so we see that here, what we celebrate today, what we celebrate today is what can take people from such different generations and have them become brother and sister in Christ. It's a great thing. Now, this morning on this Easter Sunday, my first one with you, I want to talk about what I'm calling Easter Hope. Easter Hope. It sounds like a title of a sermon, doesn't it? What am I talking about? What am I talking about in everyday living? What kind of hope does the message that we celebrate today bring to the kinds of things we face in our everyday lives? I want to begin with a letter that was sent to me that brought hope from this message, hope to me and to my wife, Chris, back about 24 years ago. Uh, We had lost our second daughter in infancy. I had just finished my doctorate in theology, and I shockingly, really shockingly, received a letter from my dissertation mentor from the university. We'd had debates about scripture, and yet this is what he wrote to me. Dr. Fernando Segovia. Dear Greg, I heard yesterday about the recent loss of your daughter. I've been remembering watching you over our years together. And I know you're the kind of person who feels both the joys and pains of life deeply. But I also remember our many dissertation discussions about the Gospel of Mark. That's what I did my work in, the Gospel of Mark. And I write to you today to bring them back to your mind. I would often point you to the apparent hopelessness of the disciples at the end of Mark's Gospel. Jesus was gone. The disciples, always dull of perception, had abandoned him in his hours of darkness and death. The last verse of Mark's gospel has those closest to him being bewildered and trembling. They don't know if they believe Jesus has risen. So they say nothing to anyone because of their fear. But you once wrote me a note saying, I'd written him one day about this. Fred, you've missed the point of the whole gospel. I can't believe I wrote my dissertation. (laughs) This is historic narrative. Life in this world is always filled with failure and fear and even death. But look at the whole story. Uh, Jesus is indeed resurrected at the end of Mark's gospel. He has promised he will meet his disciples again. Yes, the disciples failed. But Jesus has always known their inadequacy. The point of his death was to offer the opportunity for their forgiveness. And we know Jesus met the disciples again. Remember, these were the same disciples who later would give witness to the resurrection. Fear and doubt are real for us mortals. But ultimately, resurrection changes everything. And then he went back to apply my sermon to me. Greg, I hope you and your family 
are able to apply the same message to your lives now, even in the presence of death. Jesus is risen. You and your daughter belong to one who has overcome death. Never give up hope. I had not gone back to read that for decades. But it came to my mind when I thought about the message that I wanted to bring to you here in my first Easter service with you. I'm quite sure that there are very few people who are coming for the very first time in your life to any kind of a Resurrection Sunday service. You've, you've heard this message before. And I can tell you, when I received that letter from Dr. Segovia, I had heard the message of Easter many times. I already had a seminary degree, a doctorate in theology. I'd been a missionary for a number of years and a pastor for a number of years. But, but on that morning, when I received this letter from him and read it and looked back into the scriptures again, it was as if I heard it for the first time. Have you ever experienced that? A message from God's word that you've heard many times before, but it didn't really seem to have any real life to you. And then you hear it again and then you say, yes. That's what I believe. That is true. And it changes. It changes everything. It is my prayer that this morning as you come to this Easter Sunday service that something like that will happen as this word is opened. I I pray that God will open your eyes as he did mine that day to assure you of his presence. Whatever you're facing, to assure you that he cares about whatever you are undergoing. And to assure you that he is sufficient for anything. For if he has power over death, he is sufficient for anything. What we're going to be looking at is Luke 24. So if you have a Bible, turn to that. And if you don't, grab the one in the pew in front of you. It's a well-known chapter. And the way it begins is, is so interesting. You'll know these, you'll recognize these people. It's the same as people who are living today. People going through challenging times. The person that they had thought might be their rescuer, their, their next king, had died on this awful cross. I'll tell you, they are disillusioned. They are sad. They don't know where they're going to go next. But what kinds of people? Well, the first group, there are several groups of them, are a group of women. We meet them in chapter 24, verse 1. Uh, their names are given in verse 10. Uh, they show up there at the tomb. And they bring spices in. Uh, This is a part of Jewish culture to go into the tomb afterwards. And it's sort of an embalming to keep the decaying process from happening so quickly. They are called the preparations. You know what I call them? Unnecessary preparations. They went there for unnecessary preparations because there was no body in that tomb. And they are confused about this. But then, got to imagine being there. But then, two men appear to them, wearing clothes, gleaming like lightning. They seem to know they are angels, so they fall on their faces in fear before them. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I I know that I would. But these two men have, have this message. They declare this. Why are you looking for the living here in this place where there are dead people? He is not here. Remember how he told you when he was with you that he would. But no, they they didn't remember it. Jesus had told them a number of times, I'm going to die. 
And three days later, I'm going to rise again. These women are like so many people I know, like I am so many times. We've heard it, but we haven't really heard it. We know someone, but we really don't know them. But at least they're thrilled by it, and they go racing out to tell others, which brings us to the second group, Peter and the apostles. Surely, surely, Peter and the apostles will have, have, have understood this. But what happens is, as these women come and say, tell, we want to tell you what we've seen. That grave is empty. And two angels met us and told us that he has risen. What, what does it tell us? Women, you won't be surprised by this, I, I'm sure. Nonsense, they said. The men. They, they probably said some flighty, delusional women. They're just always so emotional. How, how can we believe them? W- one of the men, Peter, ran to the tomb. Ran to the tomb. But it's amazing. You read it. That when he saw that there was no body there, but only saw the clothes that were folded there, instead of believing that a resurrection had happened, he left wondering what, what could have happened here. Which brings us to the third group of people. We, we meet them in verse 13. The two disciples, the two followers of Jesus, who are on the road to a place called Emmaus. They're in deep disillusionment when we meet them. I think they represent so many people who just a week before, on what we call Palm Sunday, had been shouting, Hosanna, save us, as Jesus had gone into Jerusalem, throwing those palm branches down on the road, thinking that maybe this was going to be their next king who would set them up and set everything right, but it hadn't gone the way they expected. And now, as Jesus says, why are you sad? Haven't you heard? This one we thought might be our our Messiah. Uh, We saw him on this awful cross. And our scriptures tell us that cursed is anyone who's on one of these trees. How could we have been so fooled? How could we have missed it? So it's with all of that happening, these groups of people, with all of that discouragement, uh, unfulfilled expectations, and doubt, that Jesus steps in and brings them hope, helps them to see the world in a different way. How did it happen? A couple of lessons I've just jotted down. If you have your worship folder, you can follow them. Lesson number one, I've called it burning hearts, not heartburn. I was trying to think about how to say this. That at one point there was just something not alive, but then you just know that, that you are alive inside. Something happened that made them know that, that God is real. And the lesson is this, that this hope of Easter, God's hope, often flows from a hearing and a grasping of God's truth through this word. So often, when we can't really see the way we should see or don't understand what God is doing, what we need to do is open up this word and hear it in a fresh and new way. And what happens is, then God speaks to us and a hope begins to arise within us. We come alive again. Look at verse 25 of Luke chapter 24. Jesus said to them, When they said, it's all, we've lost everything. How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, did not the Christ, that's the Greek word, uh, Messiah, don't you know he had to suffer these things and then would come the glory? And here's what Jesus did. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all that was there in the scriptures concerning himself. And what happened? Verse 32. They asked one another, 
Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? Now, my one question that I often have is, how can I see what I don't see? You know, before coming here to Lake Avenue Church, I was the president of a, of a Christian university. And we had a very multinational, multi-ethnic leadership team. We'd all, all had very different life experiences. Sometimes when we were making decisions and they were saying, you're not seeing what many of the minority students are seeing. Sometimes they would say to me, uh, Greg, you're just not seeing it. And I would always say, how can I see what I can't see? How can I see it when, I, when I'm blind to it? Do you know what we need? Sometimes at those points, if we respect one another, we need somebody who sees things more fully, sees a little bit more than we do, who will love us enough to kind of walk us from where we are and help us to see the world in a much bigger and broader way. Do you know what I'm getting at there? Uh, business folks uh, who were in business back in the 80s. Do you remember back then everybody talked about paradigm shifts? Do you remember that phrase? Paradigm shifts. The idea was that you would come to see things in, in, in such a small, limited way, it's kind of tunnel vision, but sometimes if, if you're going to really do international business or work, you've got to be able to break out of that paradigm, be able to see it from a different perspective. Well, let me use an illustration from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. What, what do you see when you see that picture? Do you see a rather young, sophisticated woman? You see it has kind of the hat or the... The feather, do we have any hatted, feathered? No, this isn't a hatted church. I, well, a few, I'm glad. Do, do, do you also see an older woman there? Some of you nodding. John is trying to help Dwayne out. <laughs> uh, put up a second picture that sometimes when you see them in juxtaposition, are you beginning to, to see it both? Well, put them both side by side. Do you see? All right, we better take it off or I'm not, you're not going to listen to a word I say. <laughs> what happens is when you first look at it, you see one thing, whether the young woman or the older woman. And sometimes you just can't, you just can't quite see it differently. What you need is somebody almost to trace the nose and to trace the eyes. And then, aha, there's more there than I thought was there. So here we have these, these women, uh, Peter and the, the apostles and the two disciples that just couldn't see it. Why, why couldn't they understand that, that Jesus had to die as Messiah and then would come to resurrection? Well, I think it's the whole way they looked at the world. The, their whole lives as Jewish people, they, they were told that crucifixion and death and Messiah, those things don't go together. A crucifixion is a curse. Messiah is the triumphant one. There's no way he could be the Messiah. If he died on a cross, you see, it's, it's just not in their paradigm. Uh, or even, even more, I think, in their world, so many powerful and smart people were saying he, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be. It's just not what we were looking for. And if all of the, uh, the, the political authorities and the educated people and, and even the religious people were saying this is what Messiah is supposed to do, not that, you can imagine that when Jesus said, I have come to die, they just could not see it. Now, what does Jesus do? After his resurrection, he comes, and I, and I love it. He, he, he opens up the scriptures, and he is methodical. One of the things I pray I'll be able to be as your pastor, he's patient with them. 
He's patient with them. And he opens up the scriptures from the beginning to the end. I think it's going to be, his was a much longer sermon than mine is going to be this morning, if, if you can possibly believe it. And what he had to show them was, and verse 25 is a key, they hadn't seen it all. Verse 25, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Well, it was right that Messiah was going to come and bring victory and freedom and salvation. But they had thought it was only talking about politics. Did not, verse 26, the Messiah first have to suffer, but then would come the triumph. You see, the real bondage that Jesus was dealing with is something you and I all know. And that is a moral failure that we are in danger and not ready to meet God. God is perfect and holy. None of us is. None of us is. And what we have needed is someone to come and offer us forgiveness. Uh, evil, if we're going to have a moral world, a moral universe, evil must be dealt with. You know that. You can't just sweep it under a rug. So, but all of us have engaged in it. So how will God have a moral universe and yet have sinful people in his eternal family? He had to find a way that the punishment necessary for our sin would be paid for so that we could be declared forgiven. And this is the biblical message. A sinless one, the Messiah, was going to come and take our place. First the suffering, and then would come the resurrection and the glory. What they needed to have was a guide. Someone who would open this word. And when this word is opened carefully, we would hear God's voice. And our hearts will burn. And that my prayer is, as you come here to Lake Avenue Church, whenever you come... Whatever you are facing in your life, that this word will be opened and you will see this world from a different perspective, from God's perspective, and seeing you will find hope again. Have you ever had that happen? You can't figure out what on earth God is doing. Like Chris and I were when our our child had died. What, What sense is there in this? But the recognition that there is more than just this physical world. There is an eternity beyond this world that changes your perspective about things that happen here. Have you ever had that happen? Similar to these disciples, that their hearts burn, they came alive, that the hope of God comes when this word is opened and our Father teaches us through it. Well, maybe that hasn't happened to you. I'm guessing that for so many of us it's happened again and again. But that brings me to my second point. It may be that what you need are open eyes. That's what what I'm going to call it, open eyes. And here's what the lesson is. That this hope that I want you to have, it comes from, it originates with a a genuine repentance and faith encounter with Jesus. That there's something that needs to happen in our lives so that we'll come alive to God. So the beginning point of coming to know spiritual realities, it begins with a genuine repentance turning from just living for ourselves. And in faith, trust encounter with the Lord Jesus. Now, look at verse 36. Just a couple of these verses. While they were still talking among them, all the disciples together, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. I, I, I would have needed him to have said that. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. But he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he said to them, and I love this part. All right, if you don't believe it, go find me a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. And my guess is it didn't just fall through, you know, to the floor. That, that he was really physically alive. And then he said to them, now this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. I've read this chapter so many times. I'm guessing many of you have. But I still have the same questions come. How could they have read these scriptures so often before and not seen it? And then something happened that they saw it. Um, How could they have known Jesus and then when he came and stood in front of them, they didn't know him and then they know him. Something has happened. Now, you know, I've been a a Christian for a long time, and I've even been a pastor for a long, long time. And I think I know what happened here. Because I've seen so many things, maybe less dramatic. I haven't seen the fish part, but I've seen so many things like this, but but comparable to it. And, And an episode that I've shared with a few of you at other settings is when I was a very young pastor in my first church, right up the coast, the central coast of California, uh, a young man started coming to our church who was an engineer in the local power plant. And the only reason he came, he'd, he'd never gone to church before. And the only reason he went to church was that his girlfriend, that he'd become very serious about, wouldn't go out with him anymore unless he went to church. So, so there he was. And even though he didn't want to be there, he and I sort of got into one another's lives. We were both tennis players. So we would go out and play tennis every Wednesday morning. So we would play tennis and we would stop in between, you know, when we'd have the odd numbers on the, uh, in the games and, uh, and, and talk. We talked far more than we played. And at the end of the time we played, and I kept trying to be patient with him, but, but he, being an engineer, wouldn't go to B until A was fully consumed. I tried to pull him all the way to Z so, so quickly. After months of coming to every sermon that I did and after months of us playing together, finally one morning he, he saw it. He saw that he needed something more in his life than than he was experiencing. Have you come to that point? He he, he also humbly and honestly acknowledged that his life was not what it should be. He knew there were some things that needed to change. uh, Some sins that just needed forgiveness. And on that day, I'll never forget it. He gave his life to Christ. He became a follower of Jesus. Hallelujah. A few weeks later, we were out playing tennis one day and we sat down to the talk as we always did and he said something like this pastor greg are you doing something different in your preaching it it's better than it used to be <laughs> yeah it's 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 more interesting i'm not saying it was all that bad before but but somehow now it's it's real to my life and i remember saying to him john i really hope i'm preaching better but i'm i'm quite sure i'm not the one who has changed. I'm quite sure that you have. I'm quite sure that the difference is what has happened inside of you. What what had happened to John? It's what we call, now be on your guard, he had been born again. (gasps) You know, that's a phrase that's fallen on tough times in our day, right? I was flying on a plane next to a man and I was reading my Bible and he said, are you one of those born-agains? And I knew it was something that I would never want to be. Just by the way he said it. This is just such a negative thing. Who would ever want to be that? 
Uh, but really, it's a wonderful phrase when you think about it. Jesus used it himself. It's a wonderful phrase. It means that when we're born a first time, uh, you're, you're, you're born through your mother's womb and you come alive to this wondrous, complex, physical world that we are in. To the sights and sounds and, and smells of this world. To the relationships that we can have. To the discovery that we can have in this. You, you come alive to that. But what the Bible says is that this physical world is not all there is. I'm so thankful it isn't all there is. Because then the death of an infant would be so absurd. If this is all there is, this is the only world there is. Then the pain and suffering of this world would make no sense. It's only if there's something after this world is over where we can see justice and eternal love that we can sort of wait until God completes His work. But how do we know that world? Is there a spiritual world? Is there a God? And the Bible says there is. And that God says that if we will seek Him, He will make sure that we know Him if we will seek Him with all of our hearts. How then can we be made alive to God? Well, the way Jesus put it was, and I think we can understand it, you need to be born in a second way. Born again. Coming alive to eternal things. Not just physical things. It's put so beautifully in John chapter 1. Listen to it. To all who receive Jesus, He gives the right to become children. But, but children of God. I'm not talking, he said, about children born of a natural descent. I'm not talking about somebody born of a husband's decision. I am talking about children born of God. And I'll tell you what happens. When you trust Jesus, you give your sins to him as John did. You give your life to him. You come alive to God. And then when this word is opened, it is different to you. And the difference that I'm talking to you about is what I'm calling a repentance and faith encounter with Jesus. Uh, John, let's take him. Uh, when he first started coming to church, this book was just a book. But after he had come to know God through faith in Jesus, he heard his father's voice. Uh, b- before, when he first came to church, uh, the church was just a place he, he went to because he had to or he couldn't go out with his girlfriend anymore. Afterwards, it became a meeting with with the rest of his spiritual family, made up of people from every tribe and language and nation, a place where we could praise God together. Before, when he first started coming to church, uh, the the sermons were just speeches. He didn't want to listen to them, even though his tennis foe and friend was, was delivering them. And afterwards, it became God's message to him, for he was alive to God through faith in Jesus. What about you? That's the question on an Easter Sunday morning. Are you alive to realities that are greater than just physical things? Do you have a relationship with God? When we sing, are your eyes open to Him as you sing praise with gratitude for your Father who has done so much for Him? What I love about Luke chapter 24, you see it? Whole groups of people, all sorts of different kinds of people, one after another, who comes alive to God through faith in Jesus. Their hearts burn. They come alive inside. Their eyes see and the world changes because they have had a repentance and faith encounter with Jesus. And it's not just for them. It is for you. Which brings me to my last point. I have to make this. Uh, Joyous mouths 
gone to all these body parts in my main points here. And it's this, that when you've experienced God's hope, that will result in witness to the world. Look again at verse 46. Then Jesus told them, this is what is written, scriptures. The Christ will suffer, but then rise from the dead on the third day. And then repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And I am going to send you. Now, if you have one of these repentance and faith encounters with Jesus, what do you become? What changes about you? Many, many things that you can read through the Bible and find you, you become a child of God. You, you get to be in the family of God. You become, there's one section where you become a new creation. The God begins to do a work in you. It's a process. It takes time, doesn't it? But he begins to do this work of re- a new creation. I like that phrase. But, but fundamentally, what Jesus says is, when you first met me, you simply become a witness to the reality of God and to the fact that anyone who will trust in me can find a new life and can find hope. But notice what, what Jesus says. He says, this witness, it, it's a witness, just you've experienced something. Uh, if people ask you questions you don't know, you're not obligated to try to find an answer that you don't understand. <laughs> uh, you can keep growing. You don't have to know everything. You simply have to say, I- I've met him and I want to tell you about him. And the message that we are to give is about God's offer of forgiveness based upon the death and resurrection of Jesus that is available to all people. What we are witness to is that God loves people, even failures, and that you and I can go and tell them he's rescued me so he can rescue you. Now, I've been listening to so many of the, the, the messages about Easter at this time of year, such pablum. What is crucifixion and resurrection about? It's just about that some sort of a vague God sort of loves people. Well, he does. But it's more than that. Now, I've used this illustration before, but I like it. For, for any uh, couple where, where they're engaged, can you imagine uh, the woman turning to her fiancé and saying, you know, we're about to get married, but I am not sure that you love me. I want you to prove to me that you love me. He says, okay, I'll do it. And he runs over to the cliff and jumps off to his death. And she says, wow, now that was love. That's, that's always what I've been looking for. That's the kind of love. Women, what would you say? This is ridiculous, you would say. That's not what love is. It's not love unless what? Unless the one he loved is in danger. Then if he gives his life to rescue her from danger, then that is love. And the Bible's message to us is that all of us on our own, we are in danger that we've all sinned and we're not ready to meet God, but that God loves us and he's done something about our sin to rescue us from danger. Jesus died in our place. But the grave couldn't hold him so that now all who trust in him find both forgiveness and a new life. See, we're witnesses to that. I'll tell you, our world needs to hear this. Don't you think? People who failed again and again, there's hope for you. If God will do it for me, there's hope for you too. It's what you and I are witnesses to. The other thing I want you to see is that it, it is faith specifically in the person of Jesus. Not just some vague faith in something or, or religiosity or philosophical axioms. 
But in history, one person died on a cross who was sinless. And it's through faith in Jesus that we find forgiveness and new life. And then the other part that is so wonderful. It will be proclaimed to all. This is partly why I wanted to have both Marshall and Christy read. It's partly what uh, Albert was getting at when he said, look at God's family here, here in Pasadena. I didn't even know there were people like this in Mississippi. What is it? God's family is made up of all for whom Christ died, which is all people made in his image. And you and I have a message to bring to all that there is hope for rich and poor. There, there is hope through Christ regardless of, of color, regardless of educational standing, and regardless of amount of money that we might have or not have. That is what we are witness to. Hope, hope for the world. And it's amazing. He said this is going to be proclaimed. It will start, start in Jerusalem. And as you've witnessed these things, as we've read about these three groups, now you become witnesses. You go out and tell people. And they did. They did. And it made it out to places in Jerusalem and beyond Jerusalem. And people believed. And they became witnesses. Like my friend John, they became witnesses. They went out and carried it to other places. And this happened year after year after year until one day, amazingly, in Southern California in 2008, one witness stood in front of you and simply said, it's true. Jesus died, but he is risen for I have met him. He's the savior of my life and he can be the same for you. One witness would stand in front of you and humbly have to acknowledge, I too needed that forgiveness that Jesus died for, but I found it in him. And if he would love me, he loves you as well. For Jesus did die for our sins. Good Friday. But he has risen again. And I'm simply here to tell all of you, in the balcony, in the back, and all around this worship center, that the Easter message is true. Jesus changed my life. And I am guessing if I gave you the opportunity, there would be hundreds of people in this worship center who would say the same thing. Uh, I'm simply one of those followers of Jesus who's come alive to God because of faith in Jesus. And, and did you know all over the world, millions and millions and millions of people could give the same testimony. I am simply a witness. I couldn't believe God would want me in his family because of all that I've done. But he was ready to forgive my sins and give himself to me. So today, fellow witnesses, rejoice. Because Jesus, who was crucified, is risen. He is risen indeed. And all others here, I simply want to tell you, trust him. Trust him. And in trusting him, find hope. For Jesus Christ, the crucified one, the Lord of creation, is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. risen Jesus Christ is risen. risen Hallelujah.